welcome back to Love High. My name is Florence Bark, and this is your go-to podcast for everything to do with love and relationships. In this episode, I'm talking to Jamie Clements. Hi, my loves. Welcome back to Love High. Thank you so much for joining me here today. I have a very special episode for you and it is with Jamie Clements. He is a breathwork coach when it comes to everything emotional health and healing. And not only does he breathe for a living, he also has a fantastic podcast all about men's mental health called Man Down. And as we know, men's mental health is a really, really important subject. And it's so important that men feel like they have a safe space to be vulnerable and really express their emotions. Because as we know, with toxic masculinity rife in our society, it is so hard for men to actually connect with their feelings. And this is part of the reason why I was so excited to talk to Jamie on today's episode. It was one of those moments where I was like, oh, I've got a man on the show, I can ask him everything I want to know about the way that men deal with love and relationships. And that's exactly what it was. It was such an amazing conversation. We talk about everything from society's impact on how men and women both face challenges when it comes to relationships to talking about fuck boys and soft boys and seeing what Jamie thought about that. It was a very interesting conversation and I cannot wait for you to hear it. Before we get into the episode, I would like to remind you of the Patreon. It's time for my Patreon rant. The Patreon is a little community where we can all get together and talk about things that you want to hear on Love High. It's only £1 a month at patreon.com slash lovehigh. And by becoming a member, you also join the Discord, which is a live chat room where we can all talk about anything that's happening in our lives when it comes to love, relationships and everything in between. And obviously I'm going to be there as well. So if you've ever got a question to ask me, just pop onto there and I will try and respond. I think it's really important to build a community around podcasts like this because sometimes you find yourself listening to these kinds of episodes when you've been going through a bit of a hard time, such as breakups. I know that I really found solace in podcasts when I was going through my breakup and I just want to be there for everyone in a more intimate way. So go on, get yourself over onto the Patreon and I will see you there. The conversation with Jamie did start with a few technical difficulties, but don't worry, we made it happen. We made it work for you guys. No, we we really like, we got, we got past the internet struggles after a while and the conversation was easy and lag free. So anyway, let's get into it. Wow, we have started off with uh, a lot of technical difficulties over here, Jamie. I know. I I, I was going to apologize because we initially <laughs> thought it was my fault, but I think we're just going to blame the tech, aren't we? 
Yes. I don't think it's ever, well, my iPad's dinging in the background as well. It's like, you're like, we're going to blame the tech. And it was like, yeah, I, I did it. I'm sorry. Okay. Let's talk about love and relationships. I'm so excited to talk to you about this as well, because I feel like you're such an open person when it comes to talking about vulnerabilities as a man and that is so uncommon thank thank you i guess yeah it's it's something i, I suppose that i've tried to immerse myself in i get initially from a personal perspective just to try and figure myself out and and better myself and not even necessarily about getting better just about getting happier and healthier yeah. um and and yeah that really kind of led me into the world of you know masculinity and vulnerability and and that side of things so no I, I really appreciate that because it now just feels and I guess this is a good thing it kind of feels like my default setting is just Yay. openness and vulnerability so it's taken you know 28 years but we got there eventually yeah so, that's um, how it should yeah, be no. someone exactly, actually exactly. someone gave me a compliment the other day and they were they said you're really you're really vulnerable but in a positive way and I took that as such a nice compliment. Hundred percent. I, for me, like it's a it's a big part of the the messaging behind my podcast is vulnerability. Obviously, carries this weight of like this weak, injured animal hiding mm -hmm. in a corner because it's so vulnerable, or like a an indefensible like child or or someone who can't look after themselves or protect yeah, themselves. And it's yeah. just it's not it's not that. And this is where you know language of always ties us in knots. But vulnerability is about real kind of true authentic strength in the sense that you are yeah if you show yourself authentically and vulnerably no one can really do anything yeah because no one's going to expose you for something you're not because you're already putting that out there so i think um it's a nice place to be you know it's it is it's vulnerable and it is scary at times but i'd rather be on that side of it than yeah kind of hiding hiding myself away i guess I'm very fitting when it comes to these conversations about love and relationships, because I think we experience our biggest vulnerability when it comes to relationships. A hundred percent. I think um, <laughs> out of all of the conversations that I've had for my podcast and with friends and, you know, not necessarily even publicly, love and sex, I think are the two that, um, you know, right. as you know, with your, your podcasts, obviously you span both of those. So, mm -hmm. um, those are where we are in our kind of rawest, most vulnerable form. And, um, you can't really get away with being anything but vulnerable when it comes to those topics. So, um, yeah, yeah I'm very, very excited to be here. <laughs> okay. So let's dive straight in. How did you learn about love and relationships? It's a really good question. I think I, I have quite a, um, I guess, hazy is probably the best way to put it, hazy relationship with my childhood. Um, mm. I, for, for whatever reason, you know, trauma, general upbringing and whatever, my my memories of, of like my early childhood are, are pretty thin. Um, and it's something I'm actively working on at the moment. It's like tapping back into that stuff. So the exact answer I don't know, but what I assume and what I like my best to guess is that it would have come from my parents mm -hmm. and it would have come from probably more so from culture. So media, um, films, music, you know, mainstream media, just, just culture and society more broadly in terms yeah. of 
how love is portrayed to us, um, yeah. which is, I think we're starting to see now in kind of more modern forms of media, things are, are changing and we're really realizing just how unrealistic and damaging some of those traditional stereotypes can be. Yeah. I mean, I, I hope that it is changing, but I also see all those programs like Too Hot to Handle, Love Island, like all of those things in, and they're so fucking backwards and toxic. And like, whenever I watch those shows, I feel low level anxiety because I'm like, this is what's wrong with the way that the world and society, the Western world deals with relationships which is scary. Yeah. It, it, it's scary and jarring and, and so many other things. Cause I, I find myself like spending time with good people, having really great conversations, like going to events and meeting all of these amazing people. I'm like, Oh my God, the world is, is changing. It's changing mm. for the better. Like there's, there's yeah. really great people out there in and there bubble. are <laughs> in a little bubble. But then I look at, and I, I think this is unfortunately like the, the dichotomy of mainstream media and, and society in general is that, unfortunately because of the way in which you know whether you want to call it capitalism or, or society more broadly is set up mm. that is what gets eyeballs that's what gets engagement that's what gets attention um, and yeah and attention is is the currency of of the modern day so yeah it's unfortunate that i don't quite see how we get past that but i think the way that we do get past that um you know, there's the the very well-known quote of like, be the change that you want to see. It's about change on yeah. an individual level that then creates a mass change. Um, very true. And so that's why I think podcasts and alternative forms of media play such a key role in um, oh spreading God. different messages. Yeah. I mean, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> that's, what, that's why we do what we do, I guess. But um, in terms of like how like what you learn from your mm. parents relationships and the the media and stuff like that because I feel it I feel like it's a very different journey for men and women as well I think that women learn that marriage is the kind of final kind of chapter of their life and the one thing to strive for and it's always like you know a man's gonna swoop in and save you but I don't necessarily think that's the story for young boys and men. What was your experience? Yeah, I think I think pretty pretty spot on in terms of you know that stereotypical traditional um, view of of what it is to be a, a man from sort of nineties and noughties culture. You know, I was mm. born in the nineties, raised raised in the nineties and noughties, and you know my my parents' relationship. If I take that example. And not even really going into the depths of it, but just from the outside looking in, my dad worked in finance, made a lot of money, did very well for himself, was very kind of stereotypically successful by some people's standards. And my mum worked, that's how they met through work. But then once she had me and my sister, stopped working and it became this very cookie cutter kind of middle class family. Um, mm. And that I guess is just you know, it's still around very much so, but I think we are again starting to see change. So I think that was probably my first example, although not a very kind of explicitly yeah. kind of aggressive example, or there wasn't anything obviously wrong with it. Um, that was my first kind of imprint of a family system. And then I think culture only sort of went to perpetuate that in terms of as a man, so much of your 
your worth, I guess, your value as a, as a person is in your ability to provide, your ability to um, mm. protect, your ability to, you know, you talk about how um, sort of as a young girl, there's this perception that a man's going to come in and save you. There's also a hell of a lot of almost pressure there to be the man that comes in and saves. And so it's How does like, that feel? Honestly, at the time, I think you don't even realize that you're getting swept up in it. It's it's mm. it's the light and dark of patriarchy in a way. It's like you will have a lot of opportunities by virtue of being a man, but don't mess it up. Don't don't fuck up. You've got mm-hmm. to get this right because Ooh, if you don't, don't then you're you dare cry. <laughs> yeah, because if it, you know if you cry or you show emotion or you fail, then you're not a man. And it's mm-hmm. so intrinsically like this performative element of like, you have to deliver, you have to provide, you have to save, you have to. And this is, again, one I think of the things that's being slowly and gradually undone through a lot of men's work at the moment is this idea of like fixing. The masculine is always mm. about fixing and like, I want to solve your problems. And actually, when it comes to love and relationships, it's not so much. Um, and, and I can attest to this from kind of being a partner in a relationship as well. It's like, you don't always want your problems to be fixed. You just want to be heard. Sometimes your problems aren't fixable. It's just something you're upset about and all you want to do is be heard. And if I'm there going, right, what are we going to do about this? How can we fix this? And it's like, no, can you just like hug me and tell me stuff's going to be okay? And something as simple as that, whereas that just doesn't really line up with what we were shown in in the media and alongside, Mm. you know, your jacked up Arnold Schwarzenegger, Sylvester Stallone kind of A-list movie stars where it's all about being strong and being ripped and being, um, it's that, it's macho, right? It's just this stereotypical kind of macho man. So all of that just creates like this superhero image that you should be aspiring to. And if Mm. you don't, you suddenly feel like you're not a a man, whatever that means. Did that kind of um, learning or... Yeah, did that kind of thought pattern play out in your relationships when you were younger? It's a, yeah, it's an interesting one. I think um, I'm probably oh, I was about to try and make myself sound special and unique for a second, but <laughs> um, I mean we're all special and unique. But we are. Um, I think my relationships and um, my experiences of love from a very young age. Um, were kind of characterized intensely by um, this abandonment, anxiety and anxious attachment. And so I I almost feel like maybe my experience was a little bit, well, it was definitely marred, but it was overridden by that as a key feature and kind Mm. of a key theme, um, which I think is maybe a little bit different to kind of the traditional experience of what it's like to be a man in yeah. relationships. I, I I don't know that for sure, but that's kind of just so much of my life when it comes to the topic of relationships and love has mm. been around that. So it's been quite interesting to try and sort of unpick and unpack how it all links together. Yeah. It's interesting that you say that as well, because I feel like my main experience in relationships has been the opposite with men and that they are, um, what's the other one? The one that's like not attached avoidant 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 attachment yeah so it's interesting to hear because I think I've been anxious attachment because I have the same thing I have the like abandonment issues from being younger and yeah the I feel like the 
avoidant attachment kind of comes from the other kind of stereotype of men and stuff that we learn, which is the kind of like bachelor stud lifestyle where, you know, it's all about sleeping with as many women as possible and having that bachelor pad. And, you know, you don't need to settle down because you're a man and you're just going to make loads of money. And it's, that's just a whole other side of it really. And I think there's a lot of guys out there and people getting relationships with people that just end up so avoidant because of all of that as well. Cause it's like, ah, like I thought I was supposed to be this, but now I want this, but it doesn't quite compute. Yeah. I, I, I think you're absolutely right. I think, um, and I, I think through, I was thinking about this before we sat, sat down to chat, like in any of these conversations that I end up having about like men and women, male and female, whoever it all becomes, it's very, the easiest way to talk about it is to generalize. And I think some generalizations are appropriate and others aren't. And I think, you know, there's that stereotype of the sort of non-committal bachelor Mm -hmm. who just, uh, you know, he's going to be single forever and live (laughs) a great life like Uh Bruce, Bruce Wayne and all of this stuff. And I think ultimately what it comes down to, like, this is a realization I have, um, in the last couple of years is anxious attachment and avoidant attachment are two sides of the same fear. Mm. So both people are afraid of getting hurt. If you're someone with an anxious tendency, you cling on for dear life and you go towards that person. If you're someone with an avoidant tendency, you fear getting hurt. And so you pull away (laughs) to protect yourself. And so I, I think for let's take this stereotype of like the non-committal bachelor He's got two things probably going on there, which are the stereotype of saying, this is fine for you. Like just work really hard, make loads of money, have loads of sex and don't commit. Mm. And he's been, that's been put on a pedestal for him. So he's aspiring for that. And then at the same time, when he does all of a sudden get these weird, like butterfly feelings in his stomach, when he meets someone, he'll be terrified because he's like, oh, I don't want that. So I'm going to steer clear of that. And so there's fear kind of, of all of these elements. And I think what that stereotype can maybe sometimes underestimate is that we all have like this deep rooted desire to be loved. And so as, as much of a bachelor as you can be, there's always going to be that ticking away in the background. And so you'll get drawn back to it and you'll be, there'll be a level of unsettledness, uh, unsettledness. That's a word. Um, Yeah, yeah, it is now a level of unsettledness where you're just like, there's something not right in my life. There's something missing. And this isn't about finding someone to complete you, but it's about like, there's one of my favorite quotes that I always try and crowbar in wherever I can. But the purpose of a relationship isn't to find someone to complete you, but to find someone to share your completeness with. And so I think if you don't have that relational element, there will be a niggle. There'll be, you, you might be completely happy and fine on your own. Um, but there will be a little bit of a niggle, I think. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Well, I think a lot of these issues really do come up in relationships for people because a lot of people don't do the work and they don't go to therapy and they don't really understand that it's even a problem in the first place. You've... um been talking a lot about men's mental health for a long time how did you get into that Mm, yeah um i think well i don't want to speak for anybody else but i think for most people in 
the mental health space, a lot of the time it comes from personal experience. Um, mm -hmm. for me, that's, that's exactly, exactly it. So I, uh, from the age, my parents got divorced when I was 15. And from that point as kind of like a significant trigger, um, I started to struggle with depression, anxiety, um, and then sort of more severe anxiety, which created a deeper depression. And then by the time I was in my early twenties, started having panic attacks, um, to the point where about four years ago, I was probably having near daily panic attacks and it all became wow. a little bit much and came to a, a really, you know, I had some low points, but probably around my 24th birthday was, was about the, the lowest that it, it got. And, mm. um, I then went on a little bit of a there's no non-cliche way of saying it, but a bit of a journey to like figure things out and help myself. And um, I found a, a number of ways to do that through therapy, through lots of different different realms. Um, and then unfortunately during that, about six months into that period, I lost a, a friend from school to suicide. Um, and that really was, you know, I, I've not found a good way to fully describe it, but kind of like this perfect storm of, I yeah. was going through my stuff. I was really starting to come out the other side of it, but still deep in my shit and losing my friend was just like, I remember being sat at the pub with all of my friends from school, a group of about 20 guys into lots of people in tears, everyone just in mm. complete shock and realizing that I'd never spoken to it was, it, at that day. It was the first day I'd ever spoken to some of these guys that I'd known for 15 years about my anxiety and, and my depression. And mm. then someone else spoke about theirs and they were like, oh, that's really interesting. Like I've, I've been struggling with this as well. And it was almost like a sort of inadvertent light bulb went off to say, oh shit, we've been doing this wrong. We've been doing this so, so wrong. And that's why we find ourselves sat here now and it's such a shame that it takes something so tragic to to create that response but yeah. we you know as a group you know things over the last four years have changed dramatically uh, in terms of how we talk about our stuff together and that was really what drove me to want to get into that space and go how has my experience as a male individual, as a man in society fed into my experience of negative mental health and how is it fed into others and what can we do about it? Because that was the really thing. It was like, I, I, I never want to be set in that situation again, talking about how I wish we'd known that someone was going through such a tough time. So that was, yeah, the journey into it. And it just kind of went from one thing to another, just meeting amazing men doing similar kinds of work, interviewing them. Um, and just continuing to work on my own shit at the same time. Yeah, that's a really amazing story. And I think it also just shows how important it is to have these conversations with people around you because you never know what people are going through until you ask or until mm. you share something about yourself. I actually think sharing your experiences with people is one of the best ways to educate and to teach and share knowledge because Sometimes it takes just hearing that someone else is doing exactly the same thing as you or experienced exactly the same thing as you to kind of accept it within yourself as well. And that's, I guess, what your journey has been. And it's been incredible. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been, it's been quite, quite a crazy ride really. And uh, yeah, it's for me in that moment at the pub on that day, 
and to what you just said around sharing, like it all comes back to this like contagious nature of vulnerability. Mm. And one of the, one of the reasons, and this doesn't just apply to men, but I think it's maybe slightly more strongly ingrained in men is like the fear around being vulnerable, the fear around sharing your truth yeah. is that you're going to be exposed in some way or mocked or put into an uncomfortable situation. And so that's why we don't do it, which is why hearing someone else talk about it first is a very liberating thing, but it takes somebody yeah. to do it first. Do you think it makes a difference having another man say it to a man? Because I feel like in certain experiences that I've had in relationships or with friends and with my friends in their relationships, if they see that their partner needs help in some kind of way, they can see that they're struggling, they might have depression, they've got like some trauma that they need to sort out there's so like you can say so much to someone in a relationship about I really want you to go and get help like I want you to see a therapist you have this stuff and you put it on the plate in front of them and say look if you if you figure that stuff out as well our relationship is going to be so much better but instead of take the plate and work on themselves they decide to end the relationship or they just ignore it and then things get worse and worse. And I think this is like a really repetitive thing in relationships, especially like heterosexual relationships. You can't, they or won't listen to a female partner. Yeah, I, th I think it's really interesting because I think in a lot of ways, having a close female partner and maybe for the first time, for a lot of men, it's probably the first time that they've had their emotional, mm. uh, I guess their emotions heard and maybe even you know, someone even ask how they're really doing. And yeah. so I think that that carries a, a, in a way almost a certain level of weight in a good sense. Like that's a, a good thing. And maybe you'd be more inclined to listen to that person. But I do think there is you know, is legacy patriarchy bullshit in terms of just like a, a respect of a man's opinion, like a kind of, we're on a, we're on a level and it's just kind of like yeah. these really outdated, outweighted kind of yeah. roles. And I, 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 like, I'm just trying to put my, myself almost into the headspace of, of my, of me in my early twenties. And if I think maybe slightly different because I, I lived from 15 to 21 with my mum and my older sister. So I was very heavily influenced by strong female role models. Yeah. But I think for a lot of guys, there's probably a sense of women, I'm using quote marks here if people can't, um, can't see me, um, women are more emotional, which yeah. is a stupid concept in of itself, but it's a, a construct, right? And mm -hmm. um, because women are more emotional, if my girlfriend is telling me that I need to go get some help. Oh, she's just, it's, it's overdramatic. Like it's, it's just, it's, I'm fine. And that's the mantra of most men. I'm fine. It's yeah. like, no, you're, no, oh you're God, fucking it, not. <laughs> and it, that happens with like even going to the doctors and stuff. Like men don't go to the doctors. There's just like this weird thing. And it, it, I guess it is it. So I'm, I'm okay. I'm fine. I'm dealing with it. Yeah. And, I don't need and I help. Guess, the important thing here is like, this isn't on, I, I think when we get into these conversations and it's something that I always like, again, language binds us to a degree, but like, mm. this isn't about, if you're a guy listening to this, this isn't me saying like, 
you've done something wrong because you're no. not accepting your girlfriend's help and you're not going to the doctor. This is about saying we've been put in a situation where yeah. we are not allowed to ask for help or we we think that we're not allowed to ask for help and yeah. we shouldn't ask for help. And it, in a very extreme case, it kills us. It's as simple as that. Whether yeah. it's not going to the doctor soon enough to get a diagnosis for something that's actually really serious or whether it's not getting help for your mental health and taking your own life, like this is killing men disproportionately and it's yeah, terrifying it is terrifying so with with all of that and and mental health how does this relate to relationships and love i think a lot a lot of what we've touched on already in terms of like the that disconnect and that that's mm. like disparity in in how how we match up as as men and women if we're talking heterosexual relationships and um I think there's one thing that I've actually thought a lot about in the past and haven't thought about for a few months. So I'm, I'm sort of glad to come back to it is, um, oh God, I, toxic masculinity brings up a whole can of worms for different people in different ways. But mm. if, if we're talking about what we mean by toxic masculinity, I typically take that to mean the negative impacts of a patriarchal system. Um, and that could be toxic masculinity exhibited by someone of any gender. Um, so I think from... Yeah, for sure. And also just to go back to that, yeah. like it, it isn't anyone's fault, really. It is the world that we have all been grown up in and that society, you know, it's been passed down generation to generation to generation. So the people that made up these rules are like long gone, long dead, but like we're all here just still living it out. And yeah. there isn't, I think as well, I, I, I want to put across, I'm not blaming anyone when I say men yeah. this, men that. Like it isn't a blame. It's more like, how can we work this out together? Exactly. exactly. And that that's, yeah, I, I love that because that's, that's it. We're not going to do this separately. We're already separate. So we're not going to solve it separately. Um, mm. But yeah, I think in terms of the impact of of patriarchy and toxic masculinity on relationships, the thing that I've, I guess it, it all comes down to that in terms of, let's take the male side of things. It's, I am emotionally disconnected, so I'm not as invo emotionally invested and, and involved in this relationship as perhaps I'd want to be, or my mm. partner would want me to be. Um it impacts our sex lives. It impacts so many different elements of just like not wanting to open up, not wanting to be vulnerable and also yeah. feeling that weight of that pressure of having to be strong, having to provide, having to kind of be that, that alpha. Um, and then on the flip side, I actually think one of the really bad sides of um, patriarchy and, and masculinity within relationships is that unfortunately and again there's no blame here there are a lot of women that are expecting that man and so there's yeah. women going i just want this like sensitive emotionally available man who will show up and like be in my life he shows up and they go oh you're a bit sensitive like, no, don't cry don't <laughs> Wait, actually cry like i, I still want, want to nice be strong <laughs> yeah. and it's this that it's just warped for everybody it's like i'm not prepared to be sensitive you're not prepared mm -hmm. for me to be sensitive because we've not been raised like that. Yeah. We've been raised to have this white knight on a horse and it's like, Strong when you go and step down man. off, yeah. When you go mm -hmm. and step down off that horse, they're like, 
whoa, 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 didn't sign up for this. And so it's just this self-fulfilling prophecy of like, I am going to show up really vulnerably. Mm. And if that's not received, I'm going to go into withdrawal and become even more stoic and even more cut off from my emotions. So that the next time I show up, it's not going to get thrown back in my face. So there's work on both sides, right? In terms of men need to learn what it is to be vulnerable in a comfortable and safe and, you know, whatever way. And their partners need to be able to receive that. And so it's about how can you create that again, working together? How can we create that, that setting for people? Yeah. What's your opinion on that? Like, how do you think that, like, what are the steps that everyone needs to take? It's actually just like thinking about like, how do we even begin? It's, trial and error. It's all a process, right? I think that's Mm. a horrible couple of cliches there, but, um, I'm still not getting it right. I'll hold my hands up. Like I'm definitely still not getting it right. And I think the, the thing we underestimate about relationships is it's, it's always about the dynamic between the two people. It's not about, Oh my God, I love this person so much. And so the relationship just works. It has Mm -hmm. to be about the dynamic and you have to be working on yourself actively. And I think there's a certain amount of, of work that you can do on yourself as a single person, but there will always be new stuff that presents itself in relationships. And so even when you get into a relationship, having done your work on yourself, even if it's around relationship topics, once you get into that relationship, new things are going to arise. And I really strongly believe yeah. in this. I've had lots of conversations with people about it recently because I've got some friends that are like, no, like no one else should be responsible for your own problems. Like sort your own shit out before you get into a relationship. But it's like, yeah, but you're still sorting yourself out in the relationship that someone's there as well and it doesn't mean that they're doing it for you it means that they made you aware of that thing that you now need to work on because you wouldn't have been able to work on that without them being there exactly exactly and I think um to touch on yeah to touch on what you just said like it's that's maybe a slight misconception that we still hold on to around relationships is that yeah. once you're in a relationship, the other person becomes responsible for your shit. No, no one's there no. to take care of you. That's not the purpose of the relationship. And I think actually I've, I've been there myself. If I'm being totally honest, I've gotten into relationships and not intentionally in any way, but I've been attracted to and drawn to partners who are caretakers and I get into that relationship and I sort of just let my let my foot off the gas and I'm like, well, there's someone here to take care of me. This is bloody brilliant. Yeah. And the relationship yeah. starts to fall down because like, I'm not taking care of myself. So it's like, yeah. it's always, your stuff is always, always, mm-hmm. and I can't, I'm saying this to me more than anybody else. This is always your responsibility. Personal yeah. accountability and responsibility no. is the be all and end all. Um, I relate to that as well, like, like the, massively. <laughs> Yeah, but there are, there will always be new issues that show up in relationships. And so I think you have to be prepared for that because if you think yeah. you're walking into a relationship going, I'm good, I'm ready, there'll yeah. be new stuff. I guess the, the, you know, if you're here listening to this episode, that's step one, you know, like having like an open kind of consciousness for these sorts of situ- like conversations even and having a willingness to be like, okay, well, you know, what What would happen if I don't have the white knight and shining armor, like this manly man that I've been told to 
really like be attracted to what happens if you take that away but I think that's also the I think it like when I just thought about it then I think that's media's responsibility as well because if you keep portraying the attractive people in tv films like in this way then we're always going to find people like that attractive because we, we we admire celebrities and in and that culture but I guess it is it's tearing down those expectations of people and I think following your heart more than your mind and your eyes sometimes yeah like go with the physical chemistry if someone like makes you laugh and you can't stop chatting and you have a warm feeling inside when you're with them that's what a relationship should start from it shouldn't be like oh I really like him because he can provide for me yeah yeah and that that's where you know it's an extreme example but I I always find myself getting irritatingly triggered less so now because I now it's just a joke to me but like when someone has on their hinge profile like six foot and over only guys it's like what what like sure have preferences have a type but if you've got a yeah. like a, a list of like he has to have brown hair and blue eyes and be over yeah. six foot and have muscles it's just like yeah what are you expecting to find someone that looks like that but that you have no connection with it's just it's yeah. it's it's backwards it's just it's a very interesting mm. way to look at things and so i think yeah it's it's about like there'll be so many times in your life where you connect with someone and you're attracted to them and someone could ask you, what do you find attractive about them? And you might really struggle to articulate it, yeah. but you just, it's a felt, it's a felt sense. Like you just know that you are. And yeah. I think that's, you know, that's the feel, you chase the feeling rather than the the list of non-negotiables, I think. Mm-hmm. I, I'm going to put my hands up there as well. Like, I feel like I have been one of those people that has those expectations on people. Like I always, you know, like having a, a guy that's taller for me has always been a thing, even though I was in a relationship with a guy that was five foot 11 for four and a half years. But like, uh, I've been through phases where I'm like, I'm just like, I just want someone that's over six foot. And like, cause I'm five foot seven, <laughs> but this is like, this is where it all comes down to as well. It's not even as simple as this is what we've been told to be attracted to. It's like, the way that women have been fed information through the media and like to feel super insecure about their bodies. And like what goes through my mind in that thing is, well, I need to have someone that's taller than me because otherwise I'm going to feel really big. And feeling big as a woman is classically really negative and wouldn't make me feel confident in that space. So there are so many layers to this when you really pick it apart. Which is kind of scary. Yeah. And there's actually something, something that kind of sometimes sits at odds with my views on this stuff, which mm. is, um, I do also think maybe there's an element of biological hardwiring to say like big, strong man protects, mm. hunts. Like that's that's not necessary i mean it's been perpetuated by media and society but yeah. that's biological to a degree as well so i think this isn't to say if, like if someone is looking for that or attracted to that that it's necessarily a negative but it's just i guess trying to unpick and unravel where that's come from 
And I think yeah. that's the same with any like self-development work is like, this is my pattern. This is my belief. Where does this come from? Does it come from a healthy, healthy place? Okay, fine. Does it come yeah. from an unhealthy place? Okay, not so fine. So it's, yeah, it's kind of just trying to, it's a rabbit hole, but I do think, you know, yeah. this, yeah. My friend always says to me, if you're feeling like a certain way or confused about why you're feeling a certain way, use the why ladder. So, you know, if you're looking at things like that, that's a really good place to, to go. Like if you're super attracted to this type of person, you're like, why? <laughs> and then you'll probably come back to, oh, I was taught to, or someone told, like, you know, the media told me that this is, this is what is attractive. Yeah. Wow, I feel like we just went down, we, don't, we went down a rabbit hole that I was not pla like planning for at all, but it was a really good one. Have you also heard that um, you're attracted to people that have like a certain immune system? So there's, I've heard that you're attracted to someone that has a stronger immune system than yourself because it's going to be more beneficial to your kids. That's really interesting. I haven't heard that. <laughs> I, I think like, I think there must be kind of just what we've both touched on there. Like there's got to be stuff like subconsciously, biologically that draws us to certain people whether that's yeah. based on like strength, immunity, um, fertility, pheromones, whatever it might be. Like yeah. there's stuff that we don't know. It's like, and a certain level of just like acceptance of that because we can yeah. tie ourselves in knots going like, why do I find this person attractive? He's such a dick, blah, blah, blah. And mm -hmm. it's like, you can tie yourself in knots or at times you can let yourself just be like, ah, it is what it is. Like move on. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a fine, a fine balance between the two, I think. Yeah, for sure. So I feel like maybe we've spoken about this a little bit already, but I feel like a big on trend topic is fuck boys and soft boys. Yeah. What do you think about those terms? And obviously they're thrown about quite a lot when it comes to dating. Yeah, it's, I really love this question, but <laughs> it, it fucks with my head. To Does be honest, it? because I'm, yeah, because I'm like, I get it. Like, I understand what you mean when you say that, but I, I'm, I, I really, really, when it comes to that kind of language, I really, really get struggle with like the polarizing, generalizing nature of it, because it's just mm. like putting people in a box, it's stereotyping, it's like, it's unhealthy from just like a very basic level. But there's also the other side, which is sort of like the, um, I guess the feminist in me in a way, which is like, I really want us to get to a better place together. Yeah. And if we're running around saying men are trash, you're a fuck boy, you're a sad boy. Blokes are just going to be like, well, fuck you guys. Like, <laughs> we'll, ca we'll, we'll carry on as we are. If you're going to be idiots and dicks to us, why would we not just carry on? And that's yeah. an exaggeration, right? But I do think that's how people's brains work. It's very reactive. It's very I like I think people are defensive. really offended. Yeah, I think people are offended by it. I think there are a lot of guys that are offended by it. Even if they portray the behaviours of said fuck or soft boy. Yeah. That being said, and this is what <laughs> I always like to caveat that this bit with, is like in the grand scheme of things, being called a fuckboy versus 
being a woman being harassed on her walk home or being attacked on her walk home, they don't compare. So I think we can probably deal with being called a fuckboy or a sad boy. Like it's not a big, mm. huge life-changing issue. Um, I think that's something really important to, to flag. But I do think in the bigger, bigger picture, if we want true kind of equality and for everybody to get along and blah, blah, yeah. blah, then we need to move away from polarizing language. Um, mm. Really interesting. I think I'm going to go into my own life here a little bit more, but uh -huh. like, I, I wrote this down earlier when I was thinking about this question, which was, I'm sure I'm a hun I, I'm going to go as far as says a hundred percent sure that I have been a fuck boy. You have. However, you're going to kick me off the podcast. Yeah. yeah. I was like, <laughs> fuck off. Um, I was going to ask though, what your definition of a fuck boy would be? Yeah. Well, I was going to ask you um, because, <laughs> <laughs> so I guess my definition would probably be someone that uh, uses some it's almost, it's, I guess it's a form of manipulation, um, mm. consciously or unconsciously to get someone to sleep with you by, you know, pretending that you like all the same stuff as them or pretending yeah. to be super like, into like, I don't, whatever form it takes, you are being untru untruthful in some form in order to get what you want, usually yeah. sex. And I think the reason, the reason that I say, I've probably slash definitely been a fuckboy in the past is actually, I think I, and I think maybe this is what a lot of people fall into is like almost doing it without realizing yeah. in the sense that like, I'm there going, oh, I really want this person to like me or be attracted to me or sleep with me. And so you slightly start, start to almost like morph yourself. And like, mm. if you have these unconscious patterns that draw you towards wanting something quite non-committal or casual, then you might kind of, if you're worried about opening yourself up and just saying that up front, you might veer into behaviors that would fall under that heading, I think. I don't know mm. how, how clear that is, but yeah, it, it's an interesting one for sure. It's a really interesting one. It's interesting hearing your definition of it. I feel like... Yeah, I, I think that's kind of how I would say it as well. Because, But, but yeah. for me, there's kind of like, there's two different types of fuckboys. There's a, like the fuckboy and the softboy. The softboys are harder to, to like, uh, I was going to say to catch um, or like see. Fuckboy for me would be someone that was more in it for the short term. So they are on a dating app, kind of, mislead you into thinking like they might be looking for something like a little bit more or they're very vague about what they're looking for and yeah they'll they'll be very like a little love bomby i would say at the beginning yeah. a lot of like a lot of flirting you're getting on really really well um and then after you start having sex it probably depletes quite quickly for a fuck boy and you're like and they're just like well see you later i didn't want anything anyway did i tell you i wanted to be your boyfriend no so i'm gonna go um actually one of my friends i'm gonna call them out um <laughs> my friend reggie 
wrote a song called I'm Not Your Boyfriend. And I find it so triggering because it is the fuckboy anthem <laughs> of like, I never told you I was was your boyfriend. I don't know why why you would put me up on that pedestal. Um, I would say the soft boy is someone that doesn't re- probably is like a lot less conscious of what they're doing. They they love being close in a relationship and everything's quite natural, I would say. And, you know, but they probably told you that they didn't want anything super serious, but then they act like a boyfriend for ages. So obviously something comes of it and then they're like, but I never told you, you know, that I was going to be here. I told you I'm scared of commitment or whatever. I told you about my commitment issues. Like they're the really open, vulnerable ones. And sometimes yeah. that's so much harder because you're like, oh, they've been so open and pure with me. And then they fuck off. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting. I think this is where it becomes tricky in a way because it's like, you know, if we talk about the soft boy being vulnerable all of right. a sudden. And I, I've had, I've gone through this in my head a few years ago where I was, when soft boys started becoming a thing. And I was like, oh, shit maybe I shouldn't be so open because I don't want them to think I'm a soft boy or like, right. and it's just like, we end up wrapping ourselves in knots because I'm like, I don't want to be that. And I don't want to be that. So actually yeah. I'm just going to disappear. Like, I'm just not going to involve myself at all. And I'm actually like, I've definitely in the past worried about being one of those things yeah. and ended up just not being myself as a result. Yeah. It's a really tricky situation to be in. And I think obviously relationships are hard, but I think these things come from kind of what we were talking about earlier as well. Like it comes from not being kind of in touch with your emotions, not being in touch with your vulnerability, not really knowing about any of that stuff, which then leads to commitment issues, but it's also just not facing up to the commitment issues. It's a weird one. And this is a topic that I find really hard to talk about because it's not like I think that everyone should want to be in a relationship. But if you're going to go out there and act like you want to be someone's boyfriend without being their boyfriend, then you do. But Mm -hmm. you're scared. Yeah. And I, I guess that's the thing is like, I'm sure there are people of whatever gender going out there with the intention of leading someone on, sleeping with them and disappearing. And mm-hmm. that's what they're setting out to do. And they are bad people. I would think probably on the majority, or I'd like to think the majority of people who are making those moves, it's just a complete lack of awareness of their own patterns. So let's take the soft boy. He's he's showing up, he's being vulnerable, he's being very open. He's actually being quite clear about, you know, what he thinks he wants this is he believes it like he yeah. really does believe it yeah and then when it all gets a little bit serious his avoidance shows up and he disappears and he mm. says okay i can't do this anymore and like that to me is again like it's it's unfortunate because it then creates this concept which then people are looking for and yeah. it's going uh, the red the kind of red flag buzzers going off in the back of your mind going oh he's a bit like open Maybe he's a soft boy. And then you start getting a bit defensive and a bit distant. And it like just creates this mm-hmm. horrible 
self-fulfilling prophecy and so it really does I think it just it's yeah it just comes back to figuring like learning who you are awareness of your own patterns to say okay I like this person but why am I feeling like I want to run away that's not on them that's on me and again it's about that personal responsibility and accountability so yeah it's it's a fucking minefield I've I've confused myself yeah we have to I guess not be so terrified of what triggers us when it comes to relationships because we're I think especially when you get to like your 30s you've had loads of experience by then and baggage (laughs) so like you're gonna get into new experiences that are gonna trigger you and I know that like when we talk about all the fuckboy softboy stuff I feel so internally triggered because that's how I feel my last relationship was and I poured so much of my love and soul into that relationship just to kind of be like he was never really gonna commit because he hasn't faced his shit and it hurts (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it, do- it does. It does. I think there's, it's really, really difficult because what shows up as nasty in terms of just like bailing from something really serious without too much explanation or being really non-committal when you were love bombing at the beginning. Mm. These are all, these are all very like, and I mean this in like a um, developmental way, like these are all immature reactions and responses coming from a place of a lack of awareness and even though and this is where it's so hard like even though it shows up as just like diabolically horrible in some cases it it is their fault and it isn't their fault because it's their patterning it's what's under the surface and that's just how it's presenting and so like it's so hard not to blame people in that situation but Mm. the the mature thing as hard as it can be is to say god like i really hope he works through that stuff or i really hope she works through that stuff and i i'm glad that i'm not with that person in a way because like they need to go through that and that wasn't right for us anyway which is you know in the moment fucking impossible but it's like hindsight is is a magical thing and Mm. yeah i think it's just about kind of again working working out who you are where you've come from what that presents itself as mm-hmm. in relationships outside of relationships yeah and not not holding on to relationships as well because i think it's quite toxic that we think that you know once we meet someone that's the end and yeah. that we're not going to transition and learn more about ourselves and you know whenever we do break up um, from someone, we learn so much about ourselves and we go through a whole other journey because every single person that you meet in your life is going to teach you more about yourself. So that's what's so beautiful about being able to be transitional through relationships. hundred percent. And I think, you know, it's, it's quite a clear, or I'd say quite a clear pattern that I've seen in friends and, and just people more broadly is the older you get, the shorter the period before the relationship gets more serious because Mm. you have kissed a lot of frogs you've been through what you don't want yeah and you have a much clearer picture of what you do want and also i think the key ingredient and this kind of covers everything we've talked about is the communication piece like yeah (laughs) the soft boy the soft boy is communicating yeah but not from a place of knowing himself whereas if you've done your work and you know how to communicate that's a good combo because you can actually say to someone 
like, and this is, I guess, when triggers come up in relationships, and this is something I learned in my last relationship, a huge amount. I will always be grateful to that relationship for, for this is, I'll take myself as an example. Mm. My abandonment anxiety used to show up so strongly and the way it would present itself would be jealousy. I'd be like, why, why are you treating me like this? Like a girlfriend is talking to a man, something as minor as that. And I would get so triggered and like flip mm. out and be horrible and awful. And I was just like, well, these people are, just aren't treating me right. Like how, how could they? Yeah. And what I learned in the last couple of years is saying, and it's how you communicate it in the sense it's like, what's going on right now is triggering me. It's making me feel very anxious. How can I, or like, how can we work together to help me feel less anxious? Not saying what you're doing is making me feel anxious. It's saying what is happening here is making me feel anxious. That is truth. Yeah. What can we do about, what can we do to help that situation? Do you think and so jealousy- it's about just, yeah. Sorry. Do you think jealousy in relationships is to do with, I've had this conversation before, like about insecurities in yourself. Is that why it shows up? Or do you feel like it came up for other reasons for you? Um, I think I wouldn't know to say for sure for all jealousy. I think there's probably, you know, I'd, I'd say most of us are insecure to a, to a degree. Yeah. Um, in your experience. And so I think, yeah, I guess in my experience, um, I've, put a lot of what showed up for me in terms of jealousy and anxiety down to my parents' divorce. Um, mm. And so ha- basically without going into kind of the deep depths of it, like my parents' marriage from my kind of childhood understanding was happy, stable, normal. Um, they didn't fight. it, And so when they actually told us they were getting divorced, it was like this overwhelming shock where I was like, oh, I did not see that coming. And so in my mind, I was then just like, even the happiest of relationships could end like that. Mm. And also, um, yeah, it's just very, like you might never see something coming like that. And so I think that put me on edge to, to think like, oh, this could, you know, this could end at any point. Um, and definitely insecurity as well, combined with that, just not mm. feeling strong enough in, in of myself to, and not knowing myself to a, enough of a degree to, to stand on my own two feet. So yeah. Um, yeah, a real sort of double, double whammy. Yeah. I relate to that as well. I had exactly the same thing with my parents, uh, never would have known, nobody would have known. And then like, yeah, in my, actually like in my early twenties was when they, separated and it was like what the fuck (laughs) and I think yeah Yeah. that affects you in such a in such an interesting way and my relationship that I went on to after that kind of time from when I was like 23 to 27 I was so jealous every single like a girl the girls at work he used to talk to oh my god (laughs) like anything like that, I was not okay. Um, but what happened for me was after that relationship and having that such like an intense jealousy there, I kind of bloomed after that relationship because I'd become so insecure there that when I stepped out, I grew and 
I really became myself again. And with that, I got more secure in myself. And in the next relationship, I, I didn't, I didn't experience any jealousy, even though we were in an open relationship. It's really interesting. I think in in the past, I've always said that I'm kind of my happiest and my securest when I'm single because like mm. none of that anxiety was there and it was all just yeah. like, I didn't have, I didn't have that fear. Like my amygdala wasn't just like firing in the background going, you're unsafe, you're unsafe. Um, yeah. And, but, but then actually what I guess what played out for me was when I found myself in a relationship, I would sort of lose myself a little bit. I think, mm-hmm. um, that fear of abandonment and sort of people please a streak of me came out where I was just like, Oh my God, someone loves me. I'm going to hold on as hard as I can and do whatever you want. And I'll be, I was just so intent on basically being the perfect boyfriend that I stopped being me. I was trying to morph myself into like a Ken doll who Mm -hmm. could like be everything. And that wasn't me, which wasn't who they fell in love with. So there was no longer attraction there. And so that again is insecurity because mm. I need to, you know, stand on my own two feet, take care of myself, be me in my yeah. purest form whilst also being a partner. And so that's been a, a real learning for me is actually like, I need to find that. And it's an ongoing process, find that security for sure. within myself. It's and always, um, that is keep, always going to be ongoing. We're so similar. <laughs> Everything you say, I'm like, <laughs> me too. So We've been talking for a while, so I'm going to round this up. But my last question to you would be, what is love to you and how would you describe it? So I got like a two-part answer because I I, I really genuinely like this is probably my favorite question um, of all of the questions, not just on this <laughs> podcast, just questions more broadly. Um, wow. For me, for me practically... Um, Love is, love is an active choice. Love is a process of choosing that person every single day and choosing to, choosing to love. I think people expect Mm. love to be this feeling that's just always there. And I love this person so, so much. And there is that, there's that bond, there's that connection, but I think real love is making that choice in the hard times as well as the good times. Um, and this is actually summarized much better by a quote from a poem, which I'm going to share because Aww. I have a new fa- new favorite poet. Um, and it's just, it basically says what I just said, but much more eloquently. So it's by um, Andrea Gibson. And uh-huh. it says, beauty is in the eye of anyone who sees what's missing, but can't stop pointing to what's still there. If there's no definition for love yet, I think that's a pretty good one. Oh, that's really So I beautiful. love that. I think that's like basically sums it up it's yeah that ability you see what's missing nobody's perfect but you're choosing to see the good you're choosing to see the the person that you love yeah and that's that's so important because I think we always think that people should be everything that we always wanted and no one is ever going to live up to that and it's so damaging to put that on someone and not fair that was a really great conversation thank you so much for coming on is there anywhere where the listeners can come and find you? You do all this amazing breath work stuff and some other retreats and all of that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I have two two Instagram accounts that um, I really wish I only had one, but um, I would probably encourage people to follow me at 
the underscore breath underscore space on Instagram. Mm-hmm. That's where I'm most active around breath work and just like my life more broadly. Um, and if anyone does want to listen to the podcast, there's about 60 ish episodes yeah. um, called man down. It's on all good podcast platforms around masculinity, love, men's mental health. Uh, yeah, there's some a weird and wonderful selection of, of guests. Um, so yeah, that would be kind of where I'd, I'd want to steer people. Awesome. Well, thank you. No, thank you for having me. I loved it. I absolutely loved that conversation with Jamie and especially when I got to talk to him about fuckboys and softboys because (laughs) that's something that has been quite triggering for me, I think. I I get very triggered when I think about fuckboys and softboys because I guess I had the experience with that with my ex as although like I don't really like calling him that but when I really when I think about the definitions it's just like oh, damn you were such a soft boy and yeah I find it very very difficult so it was great to talk to a guy about that I don't think I've ever spoken to a guy about that before I hope that you enjoyed this episode. If you did, I would love if you gave this podcast a little rating and a review. It'd be so nice to hear what you think of the podcast as well. Please, please, please write me a little review. I would love to see it as well as share on your social media. If you think it's going to help other people that follow you, share it to your friends, share it to your family. I honestly think that if anyone's going through a breakup or any problems with their relationships, or just feeling a bit like eh about their love life. These kind of podcasts can be so inspirational and exactly what we need to hear. And as well, if you feel like you want to get more involved with the podcast and the community, join the Patreon, which is patreon.com slash lovehigh. And that is only one pound a month. And that gets you access to the Patreon and the Discord, which is a live chat where hopefully the more people that join, the more people will be involved in the live chat, which is going to be such a beautiful thing. So get your ass over there. If you're interested on being on Love High, please email me at lovehighpodcast at gmail.com. Also, if you have any questions that you'd like me to answer in the podcast or topics that you want me to bring up, also send me an email and I will add it to the list of the ever-growing subjects that I want to discuss here on the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for being here. Thank you for following following. Thank you for being a subscriber. It means the world to me. We hit a bit of a milestone with the podcast. We got 10,000 downloads and as a new podcast, that's really fucking awesome. So I can't wait to hit the next milestone with you all. And that's enough from me for today. I will leave you to get on with the rest of your week. So please, please have a beautiful week and I will see you next Monday. Bye my loves. Get you out of my-